Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast. For those of you who've been listening for a little while or following me on socials, you'll know that I was uh, wrapping up the Inside Social Work podcast. So this is actually the final episode. Uh, there will be another podcast taking its place. So don't get rid of the uh, the podcast from your podcasting app or wherever it is you listen to it just yet. Um, it'll be called something different. It'll be called This Complex Life. And um, I'll tell you a bit about that in a moment. But I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much. This has been going now for four years. I can't believe it. Uh, from something that started off as an opportunity to showcase the work of some amazing social workers uh, in my community to a group of students that I was working with to now interviewing uh, national and international guests and having uh, listeners all over the world. Um, I couldn't believe that uh, this would have been possible if you had asked me years ago when I was doing all this recording as a complete novice with really terrible graphic designs, really bad editing skills. Just it's come such a long way and I'm so thrilled and so pleased and so much of that is a big thank you to all the listeners so if you have enjoyed the podcast please uh, leave a rating and a review it does help uh, people find it the new podcast uh, this complex life will be bringing together sort of mental health and relationships and it'll be those kinds of things that we sort of know are important but maybe we don't know how to talk about them Uh, i'll be talking a little bit about what goes on in therapy answering some questions uh, some frequently asked questions that i get from the people that i work with and there'll be some interviews around topics that are related to sort of mental health and relationships and i really believe that the quality of our relationships really influence the quality of our of our health of our physical health and mental health so finding opportunities to connect, to grow, to connect with people and to have these deep and meaningful conversations and also understand a bit about what gets in the way. What are some of the things that we might do that are our blind spots and ways that we can improve connection. So all of that stuff uh, into uh, podcasts. So really excited to launch that. So that'll be the next episode will be with this new uh, flavor and new theme to it. So I've also been working on a new website. So you might have noticed the Inside Social Work uh, podcast website uh, is no longer active and I've moved things across to marivacarcus.com.au. So check it out, have a play. It's a new website, so still might be a little glitchy, uh, still developing and growing that. And I'm offering through that some training. So some of the people that would reach out to me, uh, listeners of the podcast, uh, often wanted to either have supervision or work with me in some way and uh, I wanted to bring some of that into an easy to find place so every few weeks I'll be running different workshops and you can find everything uh, on the website there so the next workshop I have is called working therapeutically with teens and this will be on zoom Uh, it'll be run live and then available on demand afterwards Uh, it's a couple of hours where we go through some of the basics around adolescent mental health uh, working therapeutically with teens and bringing parents into the room and it's the first in a number of series that I plan on releasing um, around working therapeutically with teens and families and bringing together that accredited mental health social worker and family therapy lens into one spot so if you're interested in that hop on on the website I'll create a promo code uh, ISW 2023 so inside social work ISW 2023 and that'll be the promo code for 20% off that course uh, so feel free to grab that because ticket sales will end shortly 
And if you work with parents, there's a really great parenting course that I'm releasing called Connected Teens. So this is great for those who have tweens, uh, you know, children sort of the upper primary school age, going into high school, maybe they're not sure what to expect, what's coming up. They want to get ahead of some of those potential conflicts that arise in adolescence. So that'll be run uh, on a mixture of on-demand and some live Q&A. So parents will get access to the materials and they'll kind of drop uh, once a week over six weeks with a handful of live Q&As. If people have particular questions, they'll also have a chance to sort of submit me a question and I can discuss it and they can kind of catch up on that content later as well. So it'll be a really nice, robust program looking at acceptance and commitment therapy techniques and tools with family systems and making sure that I apply that to uh, adolescent development. So really thinking about what other particular difficulties that families face and ways to strengthen those connections and those relationships uh, in those early kind of tween teen years so have a look at that there'll be link in the show notes uh, I'd be really grateful if you could have a look around uh, the website kind of tell me what you think and feel free to connect you can follow me over at Instagram Marie Bacarcus uh, on LinkedIn I'm, I'm quite active there I post there a lot uh, and if you've got any questions send me a DM I'd love to hear from you this uh, podcast episode was recorded late last year, so I interviewed Frances Kale about workplace bullying and workplace stress, and she shares with listeners some of the things that she's personally worked through, as well as some of the things that she helps her clients work through uh, in terms of workplace stress and the impact that that can have on general mental health. It's a really great episode, and I hope you find it helpful. And thanks again for being a part of this uh, amazing journey, and I hope that you stick around and uh, see what you think of the new podcast when it comes out. Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast. Today I have with me Francis Kale. Welcome, Francis. Hello, and thanks for the opportunity to talk on this subject. I'm really excited. Um, it's a very interesting topic. Um, before we get into it, could you tell me a little bit about, about yourself? What's been your journey into social work? Well, it hasn't been a straight road, actually. I did my uh, psych qualifications a couple of decades ago, and I didn't really find my tribe there. I, I, it was a medical model still, largely, when I was studying it. And uh, I just knew there was more to it. Uh, you know, I was a mature age student anyway. And so I went into a career in uh, corrections and had a number of roles there. Still found that there was a lot of uh, gaps in the way people with mental health are treated and took a sabbatical after I had my own uh, breakdown with workplace bullying and returned to study and completed social work qualifications. And that's when I found my tribe. People that just think about the holistic picture. There's more than, you know, there's more than the individual to focus on and the biology. There's, it's society and history, everything like that. It's been a wonderful journey, in fact. Yeah. I wish I'd done it a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, so that it was the um, the bigger the systemic look, view that seems to have drawn you to social work. Absolutely, and when in when I went into private practice, uh, I experienced that I had time to do the good work without the politics of organisations and the paperwork that's really competing with doing that work with clients. 
Oh my goodness. Paperwork and social work. They're just, they come, they come together, don't they? <laughs> don't they? Don't they? And <laughs> it's, it's a re- especially in case management, and it's often with risk averse uh, organizations. And yes, we want to protect the client ultimately, but um, it can be very stressful when people are trying to do the work that their values you know, lead them to, as well as manage all of the other stuff around it. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because it can be deflating, I think, but yeah. we'll get uh, we'll get into that. So you're in private practice at the moment. Um, can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what, you're, what you do or, or what sort of, what's your role? What are you working on in private practice? Ah, well, I've set up my private practice access stress support and it was largely um, motivated by when I did have my own um, burnout breakdown from uh, workplace bullying, I found it very hard to find professionals who really knew the best approach and what to do with that and understood that it was uh, a trauma a traumatic experience and a little bit like PTSD. And we now know that like children who experience relentless and prolonged schoolyard bullying, that um, victims of workplace bullying do also sometimes get PTSD from that. And so I thought with my lived experience and my specialisation, so in that area, I would be able to help people perhaps recover faster than I myself did. But I also uh, address workplace stress without um, having to need to be bullied and depression and anxiety. I've just created a bit of a niche. Some some professionals say they treat everything. And no, I'm a little bit old to (laughs) specialise in so much. (laughs) I don't think we can treat everything like we don't. We don't want to go to services like that. It makes us feel like the person doesn't see us. So, yeah. Um, so you've got a special interest in workplace, uh, work-related stress, and I want to ask a bit more about what that is and bullying and burnout. But is is what I'm hearing that you target or you're kind of the clients that you work with are other professional social workers or allied health staff? Yes, um, particularly, yes, for professional burnout as well and workplace bullying. But you don't have to be uh, a professional social work area. It can be anywhere, literally. So teachers um, in health services, definitely. They are the most, two of the most researched areas um, in the the sphere of workplace bullying but we also know that the public service just from press that we've seen a lot of departments have had to review their processes and improve what they're doing it's characteristic of workplaces that um, they have high high stress roles um, resource issues so perhaps large turnover and uh, ruthless competition for promotion is uh, typical areas for workplace bullying. But we also know in trades as well, um, there were cases a few decades ago that were really terrible and had terrible outcomes because uh, they have a bit of an initiation sort of thing. I think a lot of that is gone now. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> Good. 
step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. So your, your interest is in, you know, work-related stress, bullying and burnout. Um, and we were saying before the show, they could all be separate episodes. So we might yeah. um, tackle very specifically the burnout um, in another episode. But could you tell us a bit about workplace bullying? What What is it and, and what do we look out for? Sure. Well, interestingly, the World Health Organization in 2010 highlighted that it was an international health problem, particularly for people in the social uh, work roles. But um, it's defined as repeated and unreasonable behaviour that's directed towards a worker or group of workers that creates a risk to health and safety. But a lot of people don't know what that means in terms of um, examples of what it might be, I find. Uh, And this sometimes causes them to not seek assistance or support earlier. And the longer it takes, to seek assistance or to take action or even uh, contact your counsellor, the harder it is to recover from it. And so I've brought along a couple of examples of the um, types of bullying. It's um, the Canadian Centre for Occupational Health and Safety lists these examples and it's probably the best list that I've ever seen. But it includes spreading malicious rumours, gossip or innuendo, excluding or isolating someone socially. So a group of workers might be having um, uh, tea breaks or coffee breaks, but they're not inviting you or they might go out after work but not inviting you. Intimidating, of course, and that can take... um, many sort of forms it can be physical it can be uh, verbal threatening your role uh, threatening you with underperformance if you don't comply with what they're telling you to do uh, undermining or impeding a person's work now that can be just refusing to sign off on your work because perhaps there's an agenda going that they don't want your work to go forward it might be revealing deficits in the area, for example. But it can also be withholding necessary information. So there was a case that I know about where a manager knew there was work in another department but didn't tell the target of the workplace bullying because she didn't want the target to succeed as well as she believed the person would. And there was a background to that. The manager felt threatened by uh, the target. The target had a lot of background knowledge and a lot of support in the organisation and the manager was relatively new. And then we've got obviously the physical abuse. So there is assaults in the workplace. Uh, Removing areas of responsibilities without cause. So taking away responsibilities or allocating work that isn't um, favourable to one person. So perhaps you get all the rubbish jobs and other people get the interesting work where they can, you know, prove themselves and succeed. There's also impossible deadlines that you can't meet and so you're very, very stressful uh, and it sets you up to fail. Uh, Making offensive jokes. I don't think I need to go into examples about that one. Interestingly enough, a pestering, spying and stalking can occur as well. 
um, repeated phone calls out of hours, insisting that you have work done by the morning and yet it's not necessarily required. And stalking by a perpetrator is not unknown and, in fact, is more common than people think, even after the person has left the workplace. Underwork is another thing. So you're just there not doing anything and you're not allocating anything. It can be really demoralising. Yelling as well. Now, in courts, this has been a question in the past. If the person yells and it's, it's just they can't manage their stress, is that a fair thing? But if the person's yelling in front of people at you, criticising you, belittling you constantly, that comprises uh, workplace bullying. Unwarranted punishment, blocking applications for training, leave and promotion without good, good reason. Tampering with your belongings, again, so that um, documents might be deleted. And they're a pretty good spread of, I think, doc, uh, examples of workplace bullying and uh, that over time can um, really start to cut into your well-being, especially when you might be trying to address it with the person if you, if you feel able to do that then there's often a lot of gaslighting. Mm -hmm. So you're being too sensitive. There's something wrong with you. You know, where does, where does this sort of thing come from? It's an interesting question. Why? What are the dynamics? Yeah, and as you were saying that, maybe you could explain a little bit around when are they isolated incidences and someone's just being mean but it's yeah. not bullying and then... Um, maybe how do we know when it's intentional? Like, you know, if a group of people get along well and they have lunch, mm. is it intentionally not inviting someone or that person not joining? Like how do we kind of separate what's one-off? Because I see this with clients that I work with, especially kids, like that person's bullying me. But what they really meant when you unpack the situation mm. is they were mean to me this one time. So how mm. do we separate that? Exactly. So an example is that uh, the work group, because this is uh, a category of workplace bullying when there's a group involved against the target, is called mobbing. And so it could be that that group is talking together, but when the target comes into the room, they stop talking and they just keep going. So, or it could be that there were coffee breaks with um, a couple of people, maybe a manager and another staff member, and all of a sudden those stop, but the other staff member's still having the coffee breaks, but you aren't having the coffee breaks anymore. And sometimes it can be that a group is going for after-work drinks and they're not necessarily a friendship group outside of work, but they don't invite you or you don't know about it. One particularly interesting example was a friendship group that were friends and um, had been recruited to that purpose. Um, generally, when a person would be pregnant, there'd be a shower at work and the group of people at work would buy a present. But in this case, I was told about, and remembering that it's not the only incident, it's coupled with several other incidents so it's a repeated effort and they decided they buy a present but they excluded one person in the group and when that one person said to the group why didn't you tell me I'll give you my money they wouldn't let her give any money 
And so she had to go and buy her own present. And they excused that by it was just that they were friends. I think this is the tricky thing, though. The behaviour is so extraordinary that at first the um, target says, well, it can't be happening. And they question it because it's extraordinary for an adult to experience from an adult. It really is schoolyard kind of thing and social ostracization. I said that word strangely. <laughs> ostracization. <laughs> Give up. That's all right. You can say ostrich. It's okay. <laughs> yes. So, but why does it occur? We, we know some interesting things about that. We know that there's no differences in the research for gender. There's been a lot of research and you see in various Facebook support groups a lot of talk about narcissists and that bullies are narcissists. There's been a lot of research into that, narcissism and, in fact, the dark triad. Uh, plenty of research but mixed results and partly it's because people aren't generally coming forward and saying they're a workplace bully. They don't, you know, confess to that. And really there's, there's different reasons behind it. Sometimes it's just really poor communication, poor leadership skills, and quite often that's the case. Um, potentially the person is overwhelmed and may be suffering by their role and feeling that they're losing control of it they're no good at it maybe they're suffering from mental health issues for whatever reason maybe they're in have personal issues going on that's causing them to be you know uh, stressed aggressive this sort of thing but I had one example for instance the manager had a terribly traumatic past with um, an extremely violent mother, by all accounts, and when the target smiled in a certain way, it reminded her of her extremely violent mother, and so she reacted from trauma, and the relationship would be up and down. You know, they'd be getting on really well, but then the person was triggered. Uh, another example, which perhaps is a little bit more narcissistic, I would suggest, was a manager who said that whenever the target said the word no, or she felt that she was disagreeing with her, that for her, she heard her saying, you're stupid. So she had a pathological fear of looking stupid and had a variety of strategies uh, around her to ensure that that didn't happen, you know, and so that target was the one that had uh, quite a lot of experience, knowledge of the organisation, and the manager essentially felt threatened by her and that her um, fragile ego would be revealed. And she said to the target, no one is going to, I can't let anyone make me feel stupid. Wow. I mean, hearing all these, it gives you so much empathy for the other person as well that, mm. you know, sometimes hurt people hurt people or, mm. then, you know, if they were in your counselling chair, you would be working with them as clients or, you know, service users sort of recognising their own mental health issues or their own trauma or their own distress and that impact of that mm. on other people is bullying. So. 
Yeah. I think being a social worker and being a therapist is trying to sit with that. Like you never want to invalidate somebody, but in our conversation now, you know, there's a real clear, there's two different experiences there and both people might need genuine support. Yes, and it's a fine line. I think that from what I've seen, uh, people who have some kind of personality disorder there, and it's evident, they are much more resistant to getting any help. They, in their mind, they hear different things. And there's a, there's an, to an extent, it's like they believe their lies. And they are pathological liars as well in some cases. And the way they do it so convincingly is that it's a partial lie. So it might have happened, you know, this sort of thing. So they actually believe that they're the victim that this person is a threat to them and perhaps bullying them. Very hard to work with that. But in other instances, if the person can acknowledge what's triggering them, you know, usually you can work with that. We, we just know that um, for certain that perpetrators of workplace bullying tend to lack empathy and compassion and understanding for the target. Hmm. They're not seeing it from their perspective, at least initially, yeah. Is yeah. there is there anything that people can do? Like we don't want to put the responsibility on them, but maybe they're not in an environment where they can speak up. What can um, what can people do if they feel like they are on the receiving end of bullying? Like how can they? Mm. What are they? What are the next steps if they start? If they're listening to this and they're like, oh, okay, so some of that is my experience. Mm. Some people in organisations generally, they've got workplace bullying policies in place, but how well they implement it is another case. And it is difficult when the perpetrator is your manager um, rather than a single colleague or when it is a group. It's very, very hard because um, honesty in that situation Uh, especially when it becomes a contestual situation, if you make a formal complaint, can be uh, detrimental to the target. Uh, It's hard to evidence these things because they're often done out of earshot of other people, perhaps uh, later in the day when people have gone. So a key thing to do is to contact at least a, a colleague that supports you and just run through the sorts of behaviours that you're experiencing and uh, contacting your union if you have one and running it through with them and seeing what your options are. Um, Talking it through with the perpetrator is a good place to start. It's rare that that will amount to anything, particularly if it's uh, very intense. And it's funny because people go through it, well, it's not funny, People go through stages and at first they don't recognise it and then then they start to think, this is extraordinary, I must be, it must be wrong because the typical target has a personality type. They're high functioning, they're highly intelligent, conscientious, high integrity, they're feelers and they have an internal locus of control. So they believe that they can make a difference and they start to go about that. Maybe if I change, I can improve this relationship. What's going on for this person 
And if I understand, then I can make allowances. But the targeting of their attributes and their strengths are always at the things that they're most talented with because those are the things that are the cause of the stress for the perpetrator. So, yeah. Um, contacting HR is good. An informal contact, I would rec uh, recommend it first. And when you decide or if you decide to make it formal, seek some advice on the strength of your case or the merit of your evidence. Write down everything that occurs, its date, its time, what is said, start to diarise that, how you felt at the time, any witnesses that were there, because that'll be very important to you. Yeah, and the yeah. other thing, it sounds like also there's the workplace context, but outside of that, getting some counselling support. Because as I as I went through that list you mentioned, I think they can have ripple effects later on in life. And those experiences, mm -hmm. those small T traumas and sometimes big T traumas can have an impact on your self-esteem, your confidence. Mm -hmm. You might then doubt yourself in other workplaces. So Getting the support to heal from those, I think, is also really important, which is the area of specialty that you provide. Absolutely. It's really crushing to people's sense of self. They start to talk about what they used to be good at. Uh, you know, I've worked with and spoken to people in the highest, most stressful roles, managing multi-million dollar projects and very high functioning and by the time that I see them they cannot work they cannot get out of bed sometimes they are not confident in their decisions they're finding it hard to talk yeah. and we know that that's around um, the trauma so the impact of it on the brain it's a brain injury at its worst and it causes restructuring in the brain and like any trauma you start to be hyper vigilant for instance to threat and often people talk about they can't even see the perpetrator without feeling high distress and anxiety and so um, the sooner that you can get support um, again the better and there are ways to self-care as well to prevent this sort of thing happening. Um, it's really about an amygdala hijack. That's what I see quite often. And you see that in trauma. So um, amygdala hijack, of course, means, well, some of the viewers, the, the listeners might be um, aware that people who have become very vigilant for threat and that can be from previous significant traumas that have affected them, that the, they'll get the information or the stimuli through to the emotional parts of the brain, and the emotional parts of the brain are geared to protect you from harm, so they automatically switch on as soon as they see threat, even if it is really a threat or not. And this could be the perpetrator coming into the supermarket where you are for some people. Mm. And the amygdala pretty well takes over, fires up, shuts down the other parts of the brain that are the rational sides of the brain, in, you know, in a nutshell, just summarising. Then the person is experiencing on a more permanent basis memory issues, 
um, ability to get tasks done and reason through things. It takes a millisecond for all of this to happen. So the first point of treatment needs to be helping the person to stabilise that body-mind, mm. that body-mind contact. Pete, um, cognitive behavioural therapy, for instance, is, isn't effective with people who are suffering this sort of trauma because they absolutely believe that their biggest fears about not being good enough, mm. whatever drives them to succeed, have, has been ruined, that they'll yeah. never be the same and they'll never heal. So it sounds like, you know, bullying, like any other trauma, can lead to anxiety, depression, PTSD. Like it, 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 it in itself is not the diagnosis. It's what then causes or exacerbates those other things. So finding the yeah. support for those mental illnesses or just the mental ill health um, sounds really yeah. important. Yeah. Some of the impacts um, you've got uh, in stress, you'll have shallow, rapid breathing, adrenaline and cortisol flooding, um, you know, continuously, which is not good for our body. Mm. So then we have chronic physiological ailments like aches and pains, gastric issues, ratio, weight gain, weight gain or loss. Blood pressure is quite common, hypervigilance and sensitivity we've spoken about. Sleep issues, people will have nightmares about their work situation. Uh, I can remember one lady saying that she would have a, a dream of being in a work function and then the perpetrator would come and give her a hug but be crushing her into a ball. That's an example. Very easily very easy to read the dreams a mental illness of course depression anxiety panic post-traumatic stress disorder um, whether there's an existing vulnerability or not um, doesn't matter rumination is a key characteristic people cannot stop thinking about this injustice and especially unfortunately the majority of organizations aren't very good at addressing the issue and in fact start to behave in a way that's really definable as institutional bullying. And so people think of it from morning until night. They just cannot stop thinking through it and trying to get justice, you know, begging people to help. It just doesn't work. And that becomes another trauma. It's a trauma by omission, isn't it? Like yes, just yeah, exactly. Did and you've got your cognitive decline, your memory, um, your fractured sense of identity, uh, and eventually loss. Intense feelings of shame are there too. That's characteristic, and this is why an important thing and a terrible thing is forty percent of targets of workplace bullying contemplate suicide. We need to do better. Mm. Yeah, that's um, they're incredibly dire symptoms when you kind of look at them yeah. and I think like what you said sometimes there's disbelief that this could be happening as adults and then maybe even additionally another thing in our sector is these are all people in the healthcare profession like what mm. that is going on that people who've yeah. got social work degrees or psychology degrees or like nurses like how is this happening with people who get into a job yeah. to help others so there's I can see the the mind-boggling confusion mm. at this experience. Well, it's interesting to me because when I've looked into various organisations, what I often see is a, an almost toxic culture. So the workloads are, are huge. 
for the, the availability of the workers. And that's often because of funding or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. And then the people start to be unable to do their work properly, but the culture of the organisation is to issue underperformance proceedings instead of just acknowledging, listen, we've got 25 above a best practice caseload going on here, so let's teach you time management when it's not about time management. And often in those organisations, I see the managers are even working till 12 o'clock at night themselves. So you can see how the issue of, of burning out, you know, from this sort of toxic culture, and, of course, that's another topic in itself, like you yeah, said. absolutely. It so it. If, you know, you have such a passion for this area, um, you know, about your career, about this type of work. Mm -hmm very active in it it sounds like you still do a lot of reading and learning and research like what keeps you motivated you know I think that um I always I came to believe that if I'd had the right treatment uh my treatment was great I had some great treatment but if I'd had it in the right order and if I'd found all the right people, I would have healed faster. And so I really felt that there's a need for specialists in the area. So that rather than it taking years sometimes, and practitioners in the field would say that they estimate around 30% of people can't return to work. I'd love to get that a little bit lower, you know. Um, to tell you the truth, I, I wish that that could be better. But a key thing for me that now in private practice, being able to be the one that sets the policy and being able to have time to get out uh, into the community and advocate and highlight the issue as you've given me the opportunity to do on your podcast, Marie, then it keeps me going because I feel I'm really making a difference. And that's the drive. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. If you um, could give one piece of advice to the listeners, to the audience um, mm. about this topic or your experience, like what would it be? Uh, I would say self-care. And, I, you know, I almost laugh when I say this because it's social workers and other practitioner um, professions that's what they hear all the time, self-care, self-care. I cannot overestimate the importance of it. And I've seen the benefits of people working in um, high-stress contexts, which is a lot of the social work uh, type of environments and, you know, child protection, health services, community-based services, and the ones that survive seem to be able to have a plan. They've really, they're going out, they're doing something every weekend. This allows them to um, look forward to it. Lots of nice serotonin and all the nice good fluids going through. Then they have something to talk about on the Monday and they remember it. More lots of great stuff going through. And it's a buffer. Physical education, not physical education, sorry. 
physical activity. So we know that cardiovascular and, um, and walking, for instance, is really helpful in terms of um, work stress. And, um, you know, sleep, getting enough sleep is critical. You know, the other thing is psychoeducation when we're helping others, if there's any other practitioners out there, it's all important. It makes such a difference when the person thinks they're going nuts and they can't understand why they're ill to understand the dynamics that I've sort of spoken about mm. of what, what's going on and how it can be reversed. I mean, yeah. yeah, amazing. Is there something you wish you first knew when you either before or when you started studying social work? social work if you can remember back then to yeah. being a fresh social worker that I can remember this I thought about <laughs> it and thought, what was this because because I was coming back to do it I thought I there was a lot I knew I didn't know that um that there weren't the different treatment modalities included in the course I didn't sort of click to that. I thought it would be the same as the psychology qualifications, you know, in various degrees across it. Uh, and so uh, that was news. I would have liked to have known that up front because I would have included there's uh, various, about, even though the research is short on what works the best with workplace bullying victims, victim survivors, then, um, you know, there were a few that I did that are seen as being very useful because it's very somatic and mindful. Mm, amazing. And sort of a final question before we wrap up, maybe it overlaps a bit with the self-care, but what do you do when you're not helping others, when you're not <laughs> social workering? Yeah, yeah. And it's so easy, even for me, having said that, to be a bit of a hypocrite. Mm. <laughs> you go along, especially in winter, I find I do it because it's just, so uninviting as <laughs> where I am in Melbourne to get out. And so um, for me, I've got my two adult children now and they're doing their own thing, but I love getting together as a family. We try and actually do that once a month for, for a meal. And so that's fantastic. I just love hearing what they're doing and how they're doing well at it. And then also for me, water is very grounding. And so I like to try and swim a couple of times a week if I can or go down to the beach. So swimming is winter. <laughs> Going down to the beach just to watch the water or where there's creeks. Other people would say they find, you know, uh, inland Victoria, inland, where it's a bit more... Uh, dry they find that grounding so it's wherever you can get your energy you know feed your spirit is what I say and I'm here with the Dandenong Rangers so I've got everything yeah. but as I said I have to I'm working at the moment I'm getting back into fitness after a winter of not doing much <laughs> don't you think it's been cold down here <laughs> sure has well, thank you so much for your time today. This is such an interesting uh, topic and I think it will generate some discussion and reflection for the listeners um, and we'll have to get I you back so. to talk a little bit more about um, burnout. I hope so. Thank you, Marie. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed that 
interview with Francis, some really interesting things to think about and to really reflect on when we spent so much of our time at work, having good uh, mental well-being and being taken care of at work is really, really important. Don't forget to check out the show notes. There'll be a promo link there to the upcoming training that I'm running, uh, working therapeutically with teens. You'll get 20% off. And there's also some information there about the Connect Teens program for parents. So some really great resources that I've been developing and working really hard to uh, to bring to you um, over the last few months. Keep listening to the new podcast. I would love to get your feedback about the new uh, structure and format please reach out. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. I'm probably more likely to check LinkedIn. Um, I'm quite active on there and have a wonderful day. Thank you everyone for being a part of this journey. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. The Inside Social Work podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast today and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and feel free to join the Facebook group. It'd be great to hear from you. Have a lovely day. Bye.